Sports Illustrated Tennis Podcast. It is day 11 of the 2020 U.S. Open. That in itself is an achievement. Um, a lot to talk about. We are going to try and do this a, a bit evergreen. So uh, if, if you're listening to this even after the semifinal matches are played, uh, there will hopefully be some nutritional value here. Uh, Jamie Lasanti, our trusty Confederate producer and uh, all-around good people, uh, welcome in. Let's just start talking tennis, shall we? Yes, definitely. We uh, we made it. We're uh, we're at the semifinals. So why don't we? I mean, why don't we start there? Obviously, uh, a, a lot of storylines, but to me, the overarching, overriding storyline is just the fact that we are here, and there's been a bit of controversy, and there's obviously been the, the Novak Djokovic story. But I would say, if you said two weeks ago we're going to get to the second Thursday, there's going to be one positive test. That was Benoit Pair. There uh, is going to be tennis played, Serena Williams in the draw, and our biggest controversy could have nothing to do with COVID. I suspect the USTA brass, to say nothing of everyone in the field, would be racing to, uh, to, to sign up for that. What, what do you think? Exactly. I mean, that's, it's such a good point. We are here, as you said, we're at, at you know, we've made it to the semifinals. And so far, um, beyond the Benoit Pair incident, which I think you and I discussed that maybe that didn't seep into, you know, the outside of insider tennis circles, you know. Um, But beyond that, the biggest story has really been, you know, the biggest controversy has really been the Djokovic uh, incident. And I think, as you said, for the USTA and, and for the tournament in general, that's that's a win, you know, and and the fact that we're not talking about coronavirus and tests and you know quarantining and, and bubbles inside bubbles on day eleven is is really remarkable. Uh, let's get to the tennis quickly. I, I do think uh, one thing we should note are just other events are following this. So the the French Open, I think, probably feels like they need to do some tinkering. We've already seen that the number of fans went down, but they've been paying close attention. Then I, I just got an email from uh, Craig Tiley this morning, the uh, director in Australia, and they too are, are looking on and are, are very optimistic. And Australia now has an ambition to have half fan capacity. So I, I think the success of this U.S. Open is going to go far beyond uh, Corona Park and Queens. So um, anyway, I, I think we have eight players remaining in the draw, but the big winner so far anyway, barring uh, calamity in the last 72 hours. The big winner here is the USDA. And I, I think you, you and I for weeks and weeks and weeks talked about guarded optimism and great that there's tennis, but we were a little bit iffy and was health and safety perhaps given the short shrift. And I, I think we can safely say not the case. So uh, tip, tip of the cap USTA. Um, let, let's talk some tennis. What, um, I mean, just sort of go top line thoughts. What, what watching this from home, what are you, uh, what's striking you? Well, first, I think one of the biggest things, uh, kind of saying on the same same theme, is that I don't think you need. I think this tournament has proven that you do not need a big crowd and some of the other bells and whistles of tennis that we're so used to in order to have a really, really good match. You know, especially a night match at the U.S. Open or or something like that. So. Um, you know, I'm, I thought that the Serena match yesterday uh, where she had to fight back, it, we've seen so many classic kind of matches and, 
and different themes. Um, and, you know, we've got a lot of great storylines. I mean, of course, on the women's side, all the moms making their way and, and uh, you know, now we have Azarenka and Serena Williams, which I'm not sure we would have thought would have been a, a semifinal match here at the U.S. Open in September. Um, and then, of course, you know, you have on the men's side, we're going to have a new champion. And so that's really exciting. And I think um, we'll see what happens in the semis there. But uh, Dominic team, obviously Medvedev has, has been here before and, uh, you know, maybe we'll we'll finally see one of these these younger kids that we've been talking about um, break through and have that Grand Slam title. So it's exciting. You don't miss the fans. I I miss the fans. I think that when you start to get into a really good match and you're just really focused on the tennis, you you're not necessarily looking for them. Uh, I I feel like there's enough tennis to carry the weight um, without, you know, needing to hear quiet, please, every, every, you know, three minutes. And I do think it would have swayed some of these matches, but I think that um, when you really, when you watch it and, you know, like we've talked about certain camera angles, I'm not sure that I miss it as much as I, I would have thought. I think I also probably hear some of the recording of the applause or the cheers and um, sometimes forget that it is a recording. I think that, um, I mean, I, I think you're right. I think ESPN has had a lot of nice touches that have, have minimized that. I think Lindsay had a really good point right before the tournament where she wondered if the, the absence of fans might not benefit Serena. And I think it's that way for a number of players. And I, I think it's no coincidence. When, one thing we're seeing is that players have backed up big wins with solid matches. You don't often see that. I wonder if the quality of tennis doesn't benefit from the fact that it's not so much the fans during the match, but everything that comes with the U.S. Open and the trips to Manhattan and the ticket requests and Drake is going to be seated here and uh, scoring an upset and Good Morning America wants to run you on to uh, the, the morning set the next morning. I think that absence of chaos has, has helped tennis, but I do feel like, and I don't know, I mean, I think it's sport by sport. I mean, I don't, I don't miss it at all during golf. The NBA took me some getting used to. I do feel like there's something a little bit hollow about sort of looking behind the baseline and seeing these, these pastures of empty seats. And then I do think there's some matches, you know, you see here's Venus Williams at, at age 40 mounting this comeback against a seated player. And it's just emptiness where, where there used to be, um, you know, where, where you would have this rocket's plus. Someone made an interesting point to me. They, they wondered if the players keep saying we have to generate our own energy mm -hmm. and it's really incumbent on me to sort of imbue this with emotion. Um, somebody made a good point to me. They said they wondered if that wasn't part of what was going on with Djokovic. And he may have been sort of a little extra animated in part because he didn't have that fan energy to, uh, to draw on. He was sort of trying to, uh, to, trying to psych himself up and add emotion to the match and, and got carried away. Um, I mean, I feel like we're, we're a bit, you know, it's, it's four days down the road and uh, a lot of ink has been spilled already. Is, is there anything, I, I do feel like we ought to go there for a few minutes anyway. Anything you want to get off your chest about Novak? <laughs> One more point before we go to Djokovic. I, I, do, I do agree with you. I think the, the, they do have to um, generate their own energy in this case. And the overall visuals of the empty stadium, especially um, in, in certain matches, is very strange. 
I think that when you start to get into that comeback match or something and you see the players firing themselves up or just fighting, I think it just brings you back to a, a similar place where, you know, we would have had fans cheering and, and you know, pushing these players forward. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, the Djokovic situation is um, obviously, it obviously took over the news and, uh, you know, it's, it's just another string of, it's just another thing in the string of events that have um, happened with Djokovic over the course of this past, you know, six months. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the, you know, the bottom line is that it, it's against the rules, you know, and to do that. And I think that you can talk about play, certain players and whether they're a big star or whether it was, you know, this person at this tournament or whatever, but I think that, the, you know, the right decision was made and it was an unfortunate, you know, really, really unfortunate error by Djokovic. And I, um, you know, it's a missed opportunity for him for sure, but he, he hit the line judge. And um, I think the, the, the where he hit her um, in particular probably also helped to get him to the disqualification point. I think if he would have hit it anywhere else, if it was, um, you know, bouncing off a chair or, uh, you know, something behind her, I think it might've been a different story. Um, but, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's a game of inches, as they say, right? So I think the right decision was made. Yeah, I mean, I can't remember who, Mats Volander, I think. So, somebody made this point that, I mean, this is tennis history on the line. I mean, if, if he wins this, he's he's got up to 18 majors. He's within one of Nadal. He's within two of Roger. He's obviously the youngest of the three. Um, it's not just sort of the, the game of inches in terms of getting disqualified or not. I mean, this tennis history uh, potentially is you know, d- determined by inches as well. I, I mean, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I, I don't think there's much discussion about whether or not he – could have or should have been defaulted. And had he not been, it would have been a major controversy. It would have dredged up Serena Williams and the letter of the law debate we had two years ago. Um, It would have sort of added this level of of taint and dishonor. And I I think in in a weird way, Djokovic himself benefits from this default. If somehow he'd gotten a pass on a loophole, it would probably have done more harm than good, even if he'd won the, the tournament. I, I do think you're absolutely right, though. I mean, I do think the what's, what's interesting here and what's nuanced and, and adds a layer of complexity um, is just this whole context of Djokovic in 2020. And right. this is a guy who, you know, I, I was just writing about this, and we talked about this after this Adria tour. It would be really easy if he were one of these celebrities who didn't mind wearing the black hat or if he were just just a bad guy that we could sort of write off and that's, that's not the case at all. I mean, it, it almost sort of makes him this, this tragic figure that here's a guy who cannot get out of his way. I had one former, I'll call him a, a former top player, but he considers him a friend of Djokovic. And he essentially said this, this is all about sort of an, another example of good intent, bad execution. And yeah. so much of what, what's interesting to me is that so much of Djokovic's tennis is predicated on precision and, and sort of this, this technical excellence and timing and so much of the way he conducts himself off court is, you know, c- candidly sloppy. I mean, I, I don't think it's, it's malicious. I, I don't think there was anything nefarious about the Adria tour. 
I'm not even sure his intent at smacking that ball sort of certainly didn't want to hit the woman, but there's just sort of a, a sloppiness. And I think that's, you know, this, this guy's his own worst enemy. I mean, these are really acts of self-sabotage, even if the intent um, was, was not malicious. So um, anyway, I mean, I, I think one thing it'll be interesting to see how uh, this all plays out, you know, with the, the, the good news slash bad news is we've got another major coming up in, in three weeks. So um, we will see what the, the residue is. I think one of the other things that we had talked about before the U.S. Open was, you know, officially a go was that whoever advanced in this tournament was going to have to overcome things that, you know, would have never, they would have never faced before, right? There's going to be all these different changes, obviously the environment, the atmosphere, you know, who's with you there, all of these different things. And I think, um, you know, in the Djokovic situation, one thing that came to mind for me was, um, you know, how we've all been in this very weird mental state trying to deal with everything that has happened for, you know, the past six months. And Djokovic, as you mentioned, has had a quite, um, you know, rough time this year with all these different things and all these different controversies off the court that he's had to address and deal with. And in my mind, I I do think that um, without the fans, maybe without, you know, the absence of, of certain members of his team, I, I do think you can view it as a little bit of a a mental breakdown in a way. You know, maybe that's something he does in practice. And because of the atmosphere of the US Open as it is now, he just kind of did it. You know, I don't know. Maybe, maybe there was just something there that that um, you know, mentally there was just a breakdown given everything that has happened. And I think we've seen that. Um, you know, you've seen players like Naomi Osaka and how how focused she's been and how she's channeling some of the things that have happened over the past six months into um, a positive way for her tennis, you know? And I think there's, there's just going to be players that are going to have to face um, different mental challenges. And I think in this case, um, you know, Djokovic wasn't able to uh, figure that one out, but it's going to be a key, key part of whoever comes out on top, uh, you know, on Saturday and Sunday. We reveal ourselves in crises, good and bad. Um, who, who, who else has impressed you? What, what else has uh, stuck out to you? I'll, I'll keep going with Naomi Osaka. I, uh, when I heard or when I saw that she had, you know, seven masks uh, with seven names on it that she was going to represent for um, the tournament, you know, I was already reading the uh, article, you know, on, on Saturday night in my head, you know, about, about the seven masks mm-hmm. and the seven matches. I think you, I think you said it that it, it was something to say about her her focus and her her self belief and I I'm totally with you on that I think that she's she's played great and she's been really focused and um, I think that again she's channeling something um, and she's really just um, matured I think since we we saw her on the stage last in terms of understanding her platform and everything so even beyond tennis wise she's really impressed me this this U.S. Open. I was thinking the same thing. We, we've known her for years. She won her first major two years ago, and yet this is really, in, in a lot of ways, an emergence. I mean, this is a lot of ways uh, her, her coming out, even though she's now two matches away from winning her uh, third major. Um, but no, I, and I, I think a lot of players are emerging. We, we've seen some young players. We've seen Americans. We've seen you know, Brandon Nakashima. We've seen the Canadians. Denis Shapovalov uh, ran a, a little bit short. It is quarterfinal match against Carino Busta, but I think he took a step forward. 
Jamie, watch this transition. Part, part, of, uh, part of enjoying the U.S. Open, part of being a tennis fan is trying to suss out uh, talent before they make it big and get in on the futures market. Um, do, you, do you ever wish you were in early on some of the best performing IPOs of, of 2019 and 2020? My bank account sure does. I have good news for you. Our crowd, our crowd investors were, were in on those IPOs and you can join them in what's next. With our crowd, accredited investors have access to invest directly, easily, most importantly, early. Buy low, sell high, get in on the ground floor. Our crowd investors have benefited from our crowd companies IPOing like Beyond Meat or being bought by companies like Intel, Nike, Microsoft, Oracle. Today, join our crowd investments in TechSee, which is software startup that helps technicians and customer service teams see what the customer sees without ever even stepping inside their home or office. It's easy, it's safe, it's already revolutionizing how companies like Vodafone, Verizon, and Samsung support their customers. Get in early on TechSee and other unique opportunities at rcrowd.com slash baseline. If you're interested in investing, you need to join rcrowd. rcrowd is free. Just go to rcrowd, O-U-R-C-R-O-W-D.com slash baseline. These are like the Coco Goffs and Brandon Nakashima's of the tech market and IPO markets. Go to rcrowd to learn more. All right, Jamie, we have four players left in each draw. I would say the men's field is fairly shockful to use a non-word. Uh, given the absence of Djokovic, we've got probably the three players you would most likely pick. And then Carreño Busta, who of course beat Djokovic in that, in that default. So we have Dominic Team, Medvedev, who was, as you know, a finalist last year. We have Zverev. We are awaiting the breakthrough. And then we have Carreño Busta. Um, it's Thursday, so uh, we're going to timestamp this. Who, who do you like to emerge from that quartet? I think that maybe we uh, will finally see Zarev in a final. Um, and on the other side with the Medvedev team match, uh, I really think it's a tough one. Obviously, Medvedev has been here before and, and Dominic team as well, of course. So I think that's going to be a really good match. Um, we'll, we'll go with chalk again, though, and, and we'll say Dominic team, uh, the number two seed. Second seed. This, this, that would make his fourth major final. I'll, uh, I mean, I, I do think there's a little bit, whatever the opposite of a silver lining is, I mean, there is a bit of a dark cloud here, which is, I wonder if for whichever players don't emerge, this becomes a sort of golden opportunity that's quickly uh, been, been sullied. That, boy, if, if I can't win a major without having to beat Federer Nadal or Djokovic, when will it ever happen? So this is a, a, tr a tremendous opportunity for one of the four. As you note, there will be a, a new winner for the first time since, uh, you know, Obama was in office for the first time since Stan Wawrinka won here in 2016, a full four years ago. There will be uh, a non-Big Three winner, but I, I do kind of worry about the, the players that don't win. Boy, if I, if I can't take advantage of this, you know, now, now in three weeks we go to Paris and Nadal's back in action and, and Federer will be healthy for the Australian Open and Djokovic record in Australia speaks for itself. And then we got another French Open and then it's onto the grass, which is quirky. I mean, I sort of feel like for whichever three players don't emerge, um, this one will sting a little bit, uh, a little bit extra. And I think even more so for, um, you know, the, the Zarevs and the teams of the world, uh, mm -hmm. just because of the constant and sort of long-term it feels like pressure at this point um sort of marking them as the you know the next 
gen or the replacements and the, the you know, top players after the big three uh, moves on. So I, I hear you on that. Yeah, and the Dominic Team is, you know, Dominic Team's 27 years old. I mean, uh, e- even if uh, he breaks through, um, you know, times times a ticking here a little bit. That uh, I, I think if you're in your early 20s, you can say, boy, I, I got a bit of a late start, but these three amazing, you know, titans were ahead of me. But um, man, if Dominic Team doesn't win at age 27, you sort of wonder suddenly uh, what his window looks like. Um, women's side is obviously much different. We have uh, three of the, just right, three of the four semifinalists are multiple slam winners. Uh, of course, Serena is the, the chief storyline and chief among them with, with magic number 23. Uh, what do you think of the women's side? Yeah, so I think we have to talk a little bit about Jen Brady. Um, you know, she's the number 28th seed, right? Uh, is that correct? And I obviously I don't think there was a another American that we would have chosen uh, coming into this that we necessarily would have picked her as, as a semifinalist, but here she is. And um, of course, she's got a good argument for the college tennis route with, uh, you know, her background and, and her rise in the pros. And um, we've seen her be successful at majors, but, um, you know, she's sort of never been able to get over that hump. So it's been great to see her succeed here and, and we'll see how she does. I mean, she has a tough opponent in, in Naomi Osaka. I feel like Naomi Osaka is really in a good position. And we talk a lot about uh, the Black Lives Matter. We talk a lot about her activism. I'm thrilled that it has not had any discernible impact on her tennis, quite the opposite. And you, you said it before. I mean, I think we, we all kind of overlooked this fact, but Naomi Osaka, even a year ago, I'm not sure she brings seven masks and has the mentality of I'm thinking in terms of being here I am, I am glad you brought up Jen Brady because I think there's something really instructive there. I mean, this was a player who could have had a perfectly nice career. She would have made her main draws of majors and could, could have very easily been a sort of ranking 40 to 70 type player. And she basically said, no, that's, that's not good enough. I want to max this thing out. And she went overseas. She went, she went to Germany and, and began training. She got a new coach. Her forehand, we, we've talked about her forehand when she first broke through four years ago, but her forehand somehow seems to be improved. She came to this event for the first time ever as a seeded player at a major and has completely backed it up. I mean, she has uh, been, I mean, she's been dominating through five matches. And regardless, I, I don't think she's beating Naomi Osaka necessarily, but I do think she emerges from this as a big winner. And I think a lot of players, you know, not everyone is, is blessed with Nadal and Federer and Serena talent, but I think in that David Ferrer kind of way, Jen Brady is a player where other players should look around and say, boy, if, if she can do it and make these commitments, uh, so can I. And I think she, she emerges here as a, as a real winner in, in a lot of ways. Um, I mean, it, it's funny that we have Serena and Vika. We don't really think of it this way, but Serena's head-to-head with Vika, 19-4, and four, which is... 22 uh, matches they've played. That's, I mean, that's as perilously close to... Uh, Sharapova level of, of, of rivalry and yet I think a lot of people think Vika is going to win that with her with her current form um let, let me ask you this do you do we like Serena's chances I mean this this 23 is she's been on this number a long time and uh the good news is she's she's certainly getting her sniffs and gets another one here do we do we like Serena's chances yeah so this as you said um they've they're head-to-head I I was actually surprised just because they both 
took time off from the tour. Um, and so we haven't had the opportunity to talk about, you know, Serena versus Vika in a long time. And this, I believe, is just the second time since 2016. I think that they really bring out the best of one another. I think we'll hear, hopefully still without a crowd, a lot of come-ons and a lot of fist pumping. And I think the two of them, um, you know, really respect one another as players. But for Serena, this is a tough challenge. Of course, as I said, Vika's sort of been trying to get her form back. And I think it's really great that she's uh, back in the U.S. Open semifinals. But it's going to be a tough match for her. Obviously, Serena Serena owns that head-to-head, as you said, 18-4. to But I do think that Azarenka is the type of player who will push her to a, a third set. And as we are talking about earlier, for Serena, without a crowd there, without her fans lifting her up in order to get to that, you know, 24th major it it might be tough you know and I I hope that um you know we can we can see a really really good match between two um you know really amazing women in in this tournament yeah I mean again I I think some of this is about uh hitting tennis balls and x's and o's and there is this rivalry I mean remember they they probably had one of the I don't know the best I think one of the five best matches uh of 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 2019 these two um in Indian Wells and I think Mm -hmm. that some of this will be about X's and O's. Some of this will be about the weight of the occasion. As, as you say, the, the absence of fans, I think, adds to this. And, you know, I mean, I think any, anyone that's been a parent, I think there's significance to doing something that your kids can appreciate. I mean, I, I don't think it's a real, and I, and I don't just say this for uh, the mothers. I mean, I think this is true of, uh, you know, Djokovic and Federer as well. I, I think there's an added, I don't know if it's a pressure, but an added dimension of, performing and triumphing with your kids in the stands. I mean, I, I think that's something that's, uh, it, it's, it's beautiful, but I think it adds a, a dimension to this. So um, definitely, we, uh, we shall see. And I, I mean, again, I mean, sort of the, the flip side of that is whoever wins that match then has to play an informed Naomi Osaka, who exactly. is, uh, you know, a, a decade younger than Nazarenka and, and 15 years younger than Serena. Um, Anyway, here's where we are. It is the final four. We have a, uh, we, this we know, there will be a men's winner outside the big three for the first time in four years. We have four women left. Three of them have won multiple majors, and Serena's still alive with that chance for magic number 24. Um, Jamie, you have to run. I have to run. It is always a pleasure, and uh, let's do a wrap next week. Sounds good. Uh, enjoy the tennis. I, I know I'm looking forward to these semifinals. You, Serena, Vika, I don't know if you heard, Vika says, uh, how, how much better can it get? Uh, we are thrilled that we're at this point. Congratulations again to the, uh, to the USTA for staging this event and uh, doing so safely. Uh, we'll see how this weekend plays out. Meanwhile, enjoy the, uh, the last two rounds, everyone. I'm John Wertheim. She's Jamie Lasanti. You can leave a review, subscribe, Apple, Stitcher, iTunes, wherever you get uh, wherever you get your podcasts. Again, thanks to our new sponsor, Our Crowd. Go to ourcrowd.com slash baseline to learn more. We'll have another podcast in seven days. Enjoy the weekend, everyone. Mm-hmm.